Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dr. Drew Ham. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, I've got these gentlemen up here on the stage. We're going to talk to you about uh, chaplaincy. Um, And so that's really it. Our topic is to answer questions about chaplaincy. And so each of these guys, you'll notice they have a sheet of paper. I've come up with a list of questions that kind of kick us off. But what we want to do is at the end of our time to serve you well. And so I'm going to ask these guys a couple of questions, but then really we're hoping that your questions will generate the next 45 minutes to an hour that we have together. Uh, So let me start on the far side. Justin, if you don't mind, just uh, explain to us uh, your name, which branch you serve in, uh, and tell us a little bit about your context. You married, you got kids. Absolutely. Hey, good afternoon. My name is Justin Woods. Uh, I'm a reservist in the Air Force. Uh, I'm a, the wing chaplain, which means I'm the senior chaplain for a unit outside of D.C., uh, and I do that part-time, and then full-time I work for the North American Mission Board doing the Baptist ministry at the Naval Academy. And so I've been married for 14 years, have three kids, and uh, just trucking away whatever we can do to, um, to get the gospel to people who send out into the military. And so up in Annapolis, up there, there was only one Baptist church, and I moved there. We thought, man, we need more than those. So we planted another one about seven years ago. We planted another one about two years ago, and then kind of revitalized one that was on the brink of um, closing uh, just like this last week. So it's been really exciting. I've kind of done a lot of ministry both in the military and out, so, um, but all kind of in the military community. Uh, my name is John Scanlon. I'm a Navy chaplain. I'm actually, like Justin, I'm in the Navy Reserve. I've been in the Reserve for right around, right at 12 years, but I've, uh, I've been on active duty uh, for most of the last four years um, on a recruiting assignment. It's my third time uh, accepting active duty orders as a reservist. I went deployed with Marines. I, um, I was on a carrier, and now for the last couple of years, uh, getting to talk to pastors about things that, that I love, that they love, even if they don't know it. I'm married. My wife and kids were here earlier because we call Jacksonville, Florida home. I was on pastoral staff there up until 2015, uh, and so and we've been there. Uh, so we've been there for a little while, and that's still home. But we were fleeing from a, a, a hurricane that's hovering slowly off the coast, and so my wife's name is Jenny. She just left uh, with our three kids, um, Abby, Allie, and Andrew. They're 11, 9, and 7. They were here today. All right, my name is Tim Stokes. I'm an active duty Army chaplain stationed at Fort Bragg in the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, So I've been in the service for three years, uh, and all as a chaplain, no prior service at all. Um, But I am married. Uh, My wife was also a student here at Southeastern, so I graduated from here in 2014, and I'm also a student here now. But um, my wife went here for a while. We've been married for six years. We have two boys, Caden and Ryland. they are four and three. We didn't plan it that way, but our house is always super busy now uh, as we chase two boys around all over the place, but it's, been, it's good to be here. My name is Tommy Watson. I'm a chaplain with the North Carolina Army National Guard. Graduated from Southeastern in 2003 in the church plan, North American Church Planning Program. Um, talk about that in a few more minutes when we talk about call. So I've been in the military about 17 and a half years prior service. I've been a chaplain for right at 12 years. Love it. The best ministry that I've been able to be a part of. My wife is Jackie, and I have three kids, Caleb 19. I've got uh, Kara 16 and Zeke 8. Hi, uh, my name is Stoney Douthit. Um I'm an active duty chaplain. And uh, right now assigned as a chaplain recruiter out of Atlanta. So we traveled over into the danger. They're bringing us home tomorrow, by the way. Sorry, can't hang out. They're they're a little afraid that something's going to happen here Thursday. But it's not going to happen, right? But uh, I've had the privilege of serving uh, in exotic Oklahoma as my first duty station. And then uh, moved to uh, interior Alaska, so in the, the North Pole 
a zip code. So that was, that was fun. And then I put my hand up and said, can I come back to the lower 48? And they sent me to Hotlanta. So excited to be there uh, recruiting uh, to get to talk. I get to have this talk every day, all the time, uh, about uh, bringing people into um, the active duty uh, reserve uh, and chaplain candidate program for the Army. Um, my family is my wife, Jody. Uh, we've been married 25 years. Uh, just in May, right as we came out of Alaska. It was the best present I ever could have given her. And uh, we have twins, a boy and a girl, um, which we have recently kicked out of the house to college. Uh, so we're slightly empty nesters now. Um, Hello, I'm uh, Mark Traeger. I'm a chaplain in the United States Air Force. I'm currently active duty. I've been active duty for the past five years. Um, back when I was in Bible college in, in about 2000, 9-11 happened. And I was sitting in chapel, it was my junior year, and um, very, very distinct memory for me for 9-11. And up until that point, I had no really understanding of uh, the military. And so I was really interested in, in missions up to that point. So my registrar at the Bible college I went to said, hey, there's a thing called the linguist program. You can go and get you know, language training and serve in the military. So that really appealed to me. So I went and thinking I was going to study Spanish, and I ended up studying Korean. And I'm not a good linguist, as later in seminary I found out with uh, Greek and Hebrew. But uh, I ended up finishing my, my enlistment as a base communications guy, like an IT guy. So I did that for five years, got out so I could do the chaplain candidate program. Um, chaplain candidate program is an internship program. Um, so while you're in seminary, you, and I came actually to Pope right here. Um, now it's Bragg. I think it's Pope Army Airfield. They changed it, the name to... And so Fort Bragg essentially is where I did my, my training, and then Haiti happened with the big earthquake. So every three minutes, a plane was going from Port-au-Prince, uh, from Fort Bragg to Port-au-Prince, and I was the seminary student walking around in uniform, not really knowing what I was doing, but they're like, all right, Chapman, get out there. And from that point on, I was like, this is awesome. I'm hooked, just because there's people from all over the country, people going and doing humanitarian relief type stuff, and I was like, this is, this is great. So I ended up doing the reserves um, as, a, as an IMA, 24 days a year. And I did a church plant, so it was a great way to have health insurance and a great way to uh, you know, serve in the local church and have another way to get income, basically, um, as a bivocational minister. Um, once I got done with that, I ended up switching into a, a guard base, which is right next to my house. So rather than driving four hours, I drove 10 minutes to the airport next to my house and did the Air National Guard in Peoria, Illinois, and did a lot with the North Carolina Guard. Um, it's TAC Airlift, which is C-130s. They basically take planes and drop the 82nd, the, uh, you know, the, the Army guys, anything they, they throw out of their planes, and we keep flying and land and stay in hotels. So it's a pretty good deal if you're in the Air Force. If you're in, you know, not, then you're probably going to jump out with a parachute. Uh, after, after that, I, there was a, a shortage of active-duty chaplains, so they said, hey, can you put in your... your uh, your, your paperwork, and so I did. I ended up getting accepted for active duty, and for the past five years, I've been doing that. I met my wife in Bible college, so she's been with me for 16 years on this kind of journey of the military. We've got nine, not quite 27, sir, whatever the, the number was, but uh, we also have two boys, a six and a, and a three-year-old, and the three-year-old saw a snake today at our pond, just not our pond, but it's at the bottom of the hill, so very, very active boys, so that's kind of me, I guess. I got one. Hey, uh, so first of all, thank you for your service. Uh, would you guys join me in giving them a round of applause? Uh, so for the sake of the audience, I've had maybe a 30-minute conversation with these guys over Skype a couple of days ago. Uh, so I, I really don't know them very well at all. So um, my background is that I grew up a military brat. My father served in the, in the Army or the Navy for 20 years, and then I went back to work uh, as a civil engineer. So before we get beyond that last question, Mark, I'm actually gonna start with you and then roll back around. Each of you guys are married, has kids. Tell me, um, because of our contact, how many of you graduated from Southeastern? Okay, the two of you. Um, we, just, we have a lot of families with a lot of kids. And so how has your experience in the military affected your family uh, for the positive and or the negative. Okay, I'll, I'll hand that to you, Mark. And just start there. Um, there's, anytime God calls you, there's going to be, there's going to be sacrifices. I think, um, you know, if, I think we're going to talk about call a little bit later, but 
you know, whatever ministry you go into, whether it's, you know, vocational ministry or you're, you're you know, a lay minister or whatever, there's going to be sacrifices. So my son was born with special needs, and within, I think, about three months, we had over a million dollars worth of, like, medical bills for emergency uh, ICU visits and those types of things. And the, the military insurance that we had while I was in the reserves, we paid $1,000, and it was, it was taken care of. So, I mean, just the just the the benefit that we had from that that military insurance was was fantastic and um i i told my wife when we went back in active duty we were kind of sitting down and praying about it and we said you know let's do one assignment and if we if we like it then we'll keep going we still feel like god is you know leading us in that direction we'll we'll keep doing it and so far i'm on my second active duty assignment i'm air force recruiting and now we have another one coming up and it's going to be quite possibly a remote where you go for one year overseas without your family. And so there's, there's obviously sacrifice there as well. And then you have deployments and things, but with that sacrifice, there comes amazing. I mean, you heard in chapel, like 8,000, you know, soldiers had dedicated their life to the Lord or made professions of faith. Like there's, there's amazing fruit that goes with that, that sacrifice as well. So I guess that's kind of what I would, would say, you know, if God's called you to it, then then that's gonna, God's gonna give you the strength and the power in that moment to, to be be faithful. So. So, um, when we received the call for going in direct commission, I hadn't been in the military before anything. Um, in 2015 is when we eventually went in. Uh, my kids were about to finish middle school, so I had middle teenagers, and I was a little bit nervous how that was going to be. Uh, as it turned out, um, my wife would tell you that our family has way more security and by every measure that you can measure it, security, because of the military lifestyle um, and the benefits, the pay and all that, uh, than we ever could have in the, the, the 20 years of pastoral ministry I did prior to that in the civilian sector. I loved every minute of that, I wouldn't trade it, um, but there's it, just the reality that, that the paycheck is steady and what I preach on Sunday morning is not gonna be held accountable to the paycheck, which sometimes has, was the case um, in some of the churches I served in, or at least there was the threat of that. I see some nods out there, and I don't want to overstate that. I want to say that the security is there from the military, um, and my wife absolutely loves that. So, and, and she's also much more engaged in ministry to um, other military leaders and spouses um, than she could personally in a church setting. She still does church ministry, but that's just who she is and how she's wired. So I would say all four of us are uh, more secure and plugged in to even local church ministry because we're military chaplaincies. And I won't rehash the, obviously there are separations and things like that, um, but we've been really pleased with it ourselves. So I can't mimic the voice, but so with my family, um, when, when when Jackie and I got married, uh, the military was not even on the table. I'd been out for several years in seminary, going to plant a church, and it was on the. It, it was actually one of those 9/11 deals. We were 90 days into a church plant in Las Vegas. I was loading an airplane at McCarran International Airport when they said everybody off the tarmac, and then we got to watch. Well, we unfortunately watched the towers fall on the, the TV screens and from there something began to echo in me hey you've been there you know the lingo you know the deal you can do this but I know what to do with it like I'm supposed to be planting a church I just came out of southeastern they said when you put your hands to the plow you don't look back right didn't realize what that meant but fast forward God planted a seed in my heart during that time my brother-in-law had actually been um for two years transferred to Nellis Air Base as an Army um, recruiter. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but uh, anyway, so I got to meet the, uh, the chaplain, the Army chaplain recruiter, and he, 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 he tossed some nuggets my way and planted some seeds. The reason I mention that is because the call, which we may talk a little bit later, had everything to do with my family. My family had to be called into this as well. Um, the result was when we made the decision together that I would go back um, in the military and become a direct commission chaplain, that my family would be in this with me. And the way, we, the way that kind of worked itself out 
is it gave my wife uh, a voice, a platform to minister to other military families and spouses. While I was deployed in 2009, she was um, a part of an effort with the state convention here to um, give a little bit of a platform to military families and uh, deployed service members. The, um, the local news out of uh, Charlotte followed my family for a season while I was deployed, talking about the pains of deployment. That really kind of set the stage for us and what God wanted to do with us, so I knew there was something bigger. Although there have been a lot of uh, bittersweet moments, the, the, I think the sweet rises above the rest. And, you know, no matter what you're called to do when you're doing the Lord's work, it's going to be bittersweet. Um, but I can say that um, so far um, throughout my journey that my family has been fully on board. There have been some painful times, but they're in the journey with me. I feel like I'm going to say the same thing. Everybody else just said. Okay, so <clears throat> for me, the, the dynamics of the family aspect coming into the military was one of the things I worried about. I mean, I'll be honest about it, but um, when I was in vocational ministry, I mean, the reality was I taught for a couple years at a school. I, was, I, I did church planning for a couple years, and the reality was, like, my wife was a teacher as well, and so we were always paycheck to paycheck. I mean, like, we, we lived off of ramen for a while. You know, we've, we've dealt with the struggle of having health insurance uh, and, and everything for our kids, and so there was a dynamic coming into the chaplain corps where it was like, okay, I may have to deploy I may be away from my kids. How will this affect the family? How will this play? Because, like, you do have the stability aspect, but then there's also the reality of, like, do I want to miss whole years of my kid's life, possibly, or whatever the case may be. Um, and so I was worried about the dynamics of the family. How would it affect um, my family? But, I mean, in all seriousness, God is faithful, and God provides. And the reality is, like, my family's thriving. Um, my wife loves it. You know, the, the pressure of being a pastor's wife that you feel on the outside is not really there for chaplain's wives like that. She's free to do ministry however she feels called to do ministry. She doesn't have to be at every single thing. She can start Bible studies if she wants to. She can be a part of whatever she wants to be a part of, but she's not forced to do it as part of, you know, the whole marriage deal of like, well, we hired the pastor, but your wife also has to do it too, you know. Um, and, you know, my kids... I mean, we get to watch people jump out of airplanes and watch the Air Force leave us there to suffer. And, uh, you know, so my kids love watching it. <laughs> they love being a part of it. Um, you know, they're, they're really thriving in that environment. And I know for us, it, stability is a huge thing. It is, um, it's been a blessing to us from that standpoint. But it's been so much more than financial stability. Um, it's been truly a blessing to be able to serve alongside um, paratroopers and their families and share the love of, of Christ with them. Okay, I'm a Navy chaplain recruiter, all right? And so when I talk to pastors, I tell pastors there's two conversations I wanna have with you. One's with you and one's with your wife. And without exception, the pastor will be like, what, we care about different things? I'm like, yes, you care about vastly different things. And they're like, okay, I'll play along. What conversation do you wanna have with me? They're like, I wanna talk to you about ministry on a carrier. I want to talk to you about having gospel conversations with young Marines in the field. Like, I want to talk to you about what it looks like to sit like, with sailors when they're, when they're loading aircraft to go uh, overseas. And they're like, yeah, I really want to talk about that. Like, so, okay, I'll play along. What do you want to talk to my wife about? I want to talk to her about health insurance. Like, I want to talk to her about, like, I want to ask her how she's planning to put the kids through college. I want to make a couple suggestions. The reality of it is, calling has been emphasized a great deal, and everything will come back to it. Um, but there are, but and military chaplaincy is is not a different vocation; it is an extension of a pastoral call. But there are things that are different inside um, of the. It, there are things that are different inside of uh, the chaplaincy dynamic as it relates to family. There is a cost, and there is a benefit. From a practical standpoint, one thing that's true is that the military as a whole, Army, Air Force, Navy, all jokes aside, really understands community when it comes to families. There are things that are built in, and my wife was, I'm a Navy brat, my wife had no military background, she really kind of 
jumped on. I was already in the process of joining the Navy when we got married. She really came in against her wishes in many ways. Um, and along the journey has really come to love it. A lot of, some of that's for security. A lot of it's, some of it's for calling. A lot of it's for community. Because there are some things that happen in a military context that in the context of community that are difficult to explain unless you've experienced it. But the military often does community in ways the church should do community. But there is a cost, right? And we could talk about what that looks like time away. And the reality of it is on a very personal, practical level. My, my kids were here earlier. I have three kids who I've talked about already, um, Abby, Allie, and Andrew. But the truth is I wasn't there when Allie was born. Now, I feel compelled to say in this crowd that I'm comfortable saying I was there when she was conceived, but I was not there when she was born. Um, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was on an overseas uh, deployment, and that's just, that's just the reality of it. And everyone who's served understands that's a possibility. But honestly, all aspects of pastoral ministry come with cost. And, and Jesus himself told us that cost must be counted uh, before we accept that call. So as a, I've been a reservist for 14 years, never been on active duty. And so I want to say a little bit about what it's like to being called into the reserve as opposed to active duty. So when I saw people in uniform in college, I just knew they needed to know Jesus, whatever it took. And because of that, I didn't want to really kill people. So I thought I would figure out how to not kill people in the military. Well, I found out you can be a chaplain. Well, how do you be a chaplain? You had to go to seminary. Okay, so I did all that and I put on a uniform and did whatever I could. But the Lord just seemed to have it fit to move me around and never open the door for active duty. Uh, I went in at 9-11. I just when I was called in. I went to seminary. Finished seminary. It was like 2007. And when I called and said, hey, I'm ready to go, they're like, hey, call us in 10 years. We hired too many of you. I said, okay, thanks. And I put the phone down. And then within a month, um, a friend called and said, hey, you want to move to Annapolis? I said, sure. Moved to Annapolis. Put my hand to do that. But I stayed a reservist. And so what that meant was one weekend a month, I put my uniform on, drove down to the local base, told people about Jesus, did some administrative paperwork, and I drove home. And then over time of doing that more and more, I got to know people. They'd call me during the week. I'd do various weddings and funerals and all kinds of stuff that way. But whatever it took, and so mostly my wife hasn't been involved much with the military because we live in a different community. But whatever the Lord calls you to do, he will call your family along with it. But I say as a reservist, it's been different. I really haven't done much else other than put a uniform on one week in a month and two weeks in the summer. Uh, though deployment orders sometimes come and go, uh, we still get deployed sometimes. But uh, all that to say is the enhancement of the military ministry. The military ministry has taught me and trained me and enhanced my civilian ministry more than I ever could have possibly imagined. I mean, the, every crisis situation I can tell you that I've helped someone in my local church is because I experienced it tenfold in the military first. And so the military taught me, trained me, equipped me to be a more effective local church pastor than I could have ever dreamed of. Thanks, Justin. Thanks to each of you. Um, so let me ask this question, and any of you can answer it. Uh, and I'll ask the same question two different ways. You've, you've bumped into this word calling. How did you know you were called into chaplaincy? Or another way to put that is, why did you choose to be a chaplain? I'll just quickly answer that uh, because there were people who needed to know Jesus that wore a uniform, and so therefore you got to go do that. That's about it. I mean, I know there's a lot to be made of calling or not. The calling was go help them not go to hell and preach the gospel to them, and so we did. And that was about it. And so I was in uniform in college. 9/11 happened. I thought I was going to be an army army recruiter. God bless you. Didn't do my paperwork right, and so I joined the Air Force. And so uh, that's kind of what happened. But that's really the sense of calling. It's hard to articulate other than a burning passion in your soul, the fire in your bones that says, "I have to get this gospel from me into you," and whatever that takes, we figure it out. And so it was just the next obedient thing in my world. My dad was, my dad's a retired Mustang lieutenant commander um, in the Navy, which will only mean something like three people in the room. Um, but that basically means that he enlisted in the Navy at the tail end of Vietnam. And then they, was, they sent him to college. He became an officer. I have a real clear memory of my dad's retirement from the Navy um, because his dad is a retired Navy chief. And so I remember going with my dad to the Navy exchange to buy his dad another uniform for the retirement. 
And so there is this picture that I have on my fridge of my dad and his dad. They're both in whites, this uniform. It was clearly not staged. They were at somebody's house for a reception where somebody said, had like, hey, turn here, and they did. And when that picture was taken, I told my dad, because when I was considering becoming a Navy chaplain, my dad gave it a real good try to, uh, to encourage me to consider the Air Force. And I told, me, I told him when that picture was taken, whether he knew it or not, that was the last time that an Air Force recruiter or an Army recruiter, could, that ship had already sailed. Um, it, when I, calling's easier to articulate now than it was perhaps at the beginning, and you're asking an origin question. Here's what I did know at the beginning. I knew I wanted to be a college pastor, all right? And I had an opportunity for a season to do that. I knew that I had a real burden for uh, disciple making and a burden for a generation, and I was trying to figure out how that could look in real practical terms. I have a heart for the local church, and I wanted to be a college pastor in a local church. I still have a burden for a younger generation. I still have a burden for the local church. What I didn't know is the Navy would provide another expression of pastoral ministry that would provide me an opportunity to do life on life with the gospel. Um, I talk about, I used the quote in chapel earlier because it's been, it's been a perspective framing quote for me when I say that the pastor's essential question is who are my people and how has God called me to live out the gospel among them? Because for me, not at the origin, but like today, it's less about where and what than it is about who. And calling for me is about who has God called me to live out the gospel among. And for me, that answer is like sailors, marines, coasties, and their families. And so that's how I've come to understand calling now. You don't have to answer, Tim, but you're welcome to. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm actually curious. What God doesn't want a hard person to call him to the army, so I'm hoping he'll answer. <laughs> I'm in the Navy. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, personal. Anyway. So I, it's, it's hard to articulate two degrees. So my dad was uh, in law enforcement and retired um, from the police department in South Carolina. And um, so I always, and I came from a, a military background with my family as well. Like I had uncles and cousins that served. I had, um, my grandfather served in the Coast Guard in World War II. Uh, one of his brothers died in uh, France uh, in the army. And so, I always kind of had a military background and upbringing and history within my family that I wanted to be a part of. Um, but then when I was in college and I felt called into ministry, I thought that was the end of that. And all seriousness, I didn't know about Chapman Corps. And so I was like, well, that's the end of that. I'm going to go into local church and I'm going to serve and I'm going to do my thing. And uh, one, of, one of my professors at Charleston Southern University actually became a, an army chaplain. So, and then I started talking to him, and he's, he's like, hey, I'm a chaplain. This is what we do. You really need to look into it. And so, um, you know, the first time I really looked into it and tried to do the chaplain candidate program, God shut the doors and really used it uh, as, as a time for me to be in churches and experience different things and, and to grow me in other ways. Um, but, you know, several years ago, I talked to my wife about it and was like, hey, I'm, I'm really thinking that God is calling me to do this again. And she said, well, I, you know, I would tell you no, <laughs> but you've talked about it a lot over the last several years, so go for it. If God opens the doors, then we'll do it. If not, then you have to be okay with that. And so, you know, God opened the doors for me to, to be able to still live out my call as a pastor and as a preacher, um, but in the context that, to a degree, I would say that he prepared me for um, just for my upbringing and everything else. Anybody else? So I'll, I'll piggyback on that. So I, I was raised uh, in the home of a pastor. Um, I mean, my dad got saved when I was four, so I grew up in church. We were, I remember the days of the tent revivals. You went every night, then you went to church, then you went back. So that was my life. I, I ran uh, because everybody told me I was going to be a pastor. When I was a teenager, I began to think, uh, let me just show them. So I uh, Started putting my focus in uh, the criminal justice field. Um, went to college, everything. Was a probation officer for several years. And um, God will catch up with you, or maybe it's the other way around. So, anyway, um, found myself in a place where um, just life is not being fulfilling. So, surrendered to full time Christian service. And so, God put me in the church plant field. So, I'm mentioning this again because. Um, what I thought God wanted me to do was just preparation for the next step.
So sometimes we you tend to want to look at something as a lifelong goal or I'm going to grow this church for 20 years. It's not a bad mindset, but you got to stay open and know that God is working um, and he can move us into different phases of life. Coming out of the church plant field um, in, in southwest United States, we moved back to North Carolina. We were going to reset. Remember I told you earlier that God had kind of planted a seed in my heart to, you know, something about the military was, was missing or needed to be revived. A couple years after moving back to North Carolina, I ran into a buddy of mine. We started out together as privates, driving Bradleys, having fun. Now he's a commander and he tells me, hey, Tommy, I heard you've been to seminary. It's like, yeah. Um, he said, well, you know, we have chaplains. We need them. In 2008, North Carolina was 50% strength in, in chaplains. We, we didn't have anybody to deploy. Having already been in the uniform, having already been in the field around, you know, in the guard, most of our, a lot of our guardsmen are first responders, police officers. So it's no different um, than the people that already been working with. And it was almost like a no-brainer. It's, as much as I tried to pray about it, it's like God said, this is not something you really need to pray about. You need to be in agreement with Jackie. And so basically my prayer was, God, uh, if, if, you know, get my family on board, I'm gone. So the first interview I had with uh, the state chaplain, he thought it was going to be to have, my, have me pray for another few months. And I told him, I said, no, we've made our decision. We're going to go. He said, well, you know, if you sign up now, you're going to be deployed. I said, yeah, that, that's exactly right. So God had already been prepping my heart, and I think if you think about um, what God is calling you to or where he might be leading you, look at the marks, the wheel tracks that are behind you, because a lot of times they'll give you some clues as to the direction that God's going to send you. So I'll echo what some of these others have said, that, that for me it's uh, chaplaincy, military chaplaincy has always been an extension of my pastoral identity an extension of a call, not a separate call. Um, and I think that's true across the experience uh, for the good chaplains. Um, oh, oh, we threw it down. Now, um, so, so I mentioned before I had 20 years of vocational ministry. Um, some of that was, was full-time. Um, the rest was full-time work with part-time pay or uh, bivocational, a lot of different settings. Um, but throughout all of it, I kept pinging back to a seminal experience I had in college on a mission experience. I got to be a, a missionary to South Africa back way back in 1992. Some of y'all weren't around then, but uh, 1992. And uh, I went there, and ever since then, God had called me. I would have said God had called me to mission work. I put quotes around that because that could be pretty broad, can it? Um, and throughout all my, my home pastoring life, I felt this call to continually shove church people out the door to be missional, you know, and that word missional became very popular, you know, about a decade after that, and everybody's using it. And another word, liminal, do you know the word liminal? Threshold ministry, uh, where you're standing in the doorway of the church and you're reaching out and pulling people in. You're not, not inside waiting for them to show up, but you're actively doing things. So it's it's not going out and getting them, it's not staying and waiting for them, it's, it's in the Right. So it began uh, through church planning, really doing that kind of activity, but all the while just feeling like it's just, it's not clicking. It's not enough. It's just not me. Um, and so when I was in one of those transitional periods from a, a church plant, plan was going well, and it was time for me to step back and move on to something else. I just asked God, what do you want for the next 20 years of my life? I, I don't know what it is. I've, it seems like I've done these things. I know that it's missional. I know it's going, I need a people. I need that for who I am. Um, and a friend of mine who had been thinking about chaplaincy for a long time, and he and I had been praying about it, just asked a simple question, a lot like your friend did. Have you ever thought about military chaplaincy? And I said, no, that's stupid. I'm 40. And I was 40. And right then, the age had just changed from 40 to 42. So I was too old one year, and the next year I was not. So I kind of put a fleece out. Uh, I had had a knee surgery a few years before, and I was not fit at all. Um, and not, I'd always been athletic, but I'd kind of lost it. And I put a fleece out. I said, God, I'll start this paperwork. Um, and if they'll take me, and if the Army will take me, if I can make it through MEPS, 
you know, with everything that's busted in a 41 year old body, um, then I'm going to take that as a sign that I'm a go. And you know what, before I finished the paperwork, he had already put all the pieces in place for me and my wife, uh, in our calling, uh, to answer that. I don't really think I have anything else to add. I'll just say ditto for everybody else. Um, the, the different branches, um, culture is kind of uh, the, the air force is very different culture than the army. Army is very different from the Marines. Marines are very different from the, the Navy. So I would just encourage y'all just to talk to, do your research, talk to us, but then also talk to other people that have served in different branches just to see where you would maybe best fit in those military cultures. No, actually, that's great, Mark, because I think that provides a great segue. My job today, what I'm really hoping is to create or facilitate a relationship that something that one of these guys says resonates with you and then you come up and have a later conversation. But due to the time, I've, I've got a bunch more questions. But do any of you have questions for these gentlemen that you'd like to ask now? Yes, ma'am. Well, as a reservist, I'll tell you what I think about it. Uh, one, the greatest limitation for chaplains is their own ineptitude and their own lack of, of courage. That is the number one reason why people don't communicate the gospel. It's not because of organization. It's not because of limitations. It's because of their own inept courage, number one. Number two, there's two different kinds of ways the military gathers or uh, work. One is in a formal mandatory setting and two in a, involuntary, or in a voluntary setting. Uh, such as a retirement. Everyone voluntarily shows up. A mandatory setting would be like a change of command. New commander comes in, force everybody to stand up. And I would say, uh, as a, most of the time, in a mandatory setting, people don't have a choice to be there. Therefore, there are some things. Like, I can't sit up and stand there and preach. That's not my slots. But any voluntary situation, which is a vast majority of them, I can say whatever, whenever, however the Lord compels me to do. And I think most people confuse those two, and they say, well, because it's mandatory, you, ha you can't t preach Jesus, but therefore, if it's voluntary, you can't preach Jesus. And that's a misconception. Um, and I think that's probably the number one question most people have. Uh, well, well, what do I got to compromise? And really, yeah, you don't have to compromise anything. At least I haven't yet in 14 years. So. I'll, uh, I'll tag onto that and say you're talking about formal situations, which is, is true, informally. Okay, so I would ask a counter question. So if you're standing in line at the post office, can you talk to people about Jesus? Not up and down. Yes, you can. And in America, in the United States, you can, right? Does it matter how you talk about Jesus in that setting? It can. I mean, do you go into the post office and stand up and do you sidewalk preach inside the post office? Probably not because it's a setting issue, right? It's, it's, it's the where you are. So do we have to change how we talk sometimes based on the setting? Of course, but that's not really different. Um, the same way a public school teacher can have conversations about what their faith is, but there are things that they can't do as far as leading and different things. I, I think that one of the only restrictions that I felt is, is on social media because there are some things that just army officers can't delve into too hard. You can't push too hard political where faith and politics meet, for example, you're, you're not allowed to exercise undue influence. So you, you got to watch out, especially during the election season. I found out that was really hard to hold my tongue and, you know, and just not post things, but we all need to do a little better job of that. Don't we? Anyway. Uh, but anyway, I think one of the, uh, I want to kind of develop one thing that Justin said just a moment ago, because Justin made a comment, and he's 100% right, that part of our limitation as it relates to how we communicate is our own personal competence. And so Justin said two things that should make seem like common sense, right? If I volunteered to be there, if I volunteered to come to church, I expect that the pastor is going to preach the, the gospel unapologetically, even in a military context. If you come to a chapel service, no one orders you to be there, you volunteered to be there. Uh, the, the chaplain who's coming from a specific faith tradition um, 
a Baptist chaplain has the opportunity and the obligation uh, to preach the Bible uh, while you're there and to share the gospel while you're there. At the same time, if you're at a change of command and everybody's been ordered to be there, this is not the time to call out the CO's sin. That's not, that's just, let's use some good judgment. As a re- you have the microphone, but that's not the time. There's wisdom. Where people sometimes often struggle is, is not even in an informal setting, it's in what the, the military defines as counseling conversations. Like, so someone's come to you specifically in your role as a chaplain to talk about a pastoral care issue. And I'll use an extreme example. Like, Bill comes to you and says, hey, I've been dating Tim, and we're going to get married. I mean, let's just throw it all out there, right? And, the, and my chief said I had to come to you first before Bill and I, before Tim and I could do that. Well, number one, you, you, he didn't have to, right? The chief was wrong, and you can figure that out later. But at the same time, he's there, right? So what, what are you going to do in that moment matters. It matters. And, and the general said amen, right? Because, because that's a, a person that you have an obligation to provide pastoral care for, but, he, but the counseling relationship doesn't belong to the counselor. It belongs to the counselee. So there's some things that you need to understand in that conversation before you can develop it in a way. There's three different, you know, I, I also I always talk about three different semen timmies who are having a bad day, right? Semen timmy number one has come to you um, because in, you ask him, hey, Timmy, what's your faith tradition? He says, I'm a Christian. Like you ask him, like, hey, what does that mean to you? He's like, I have a, you know, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm just having a hard time. It's my first time my wife and I have ever been apart. That's a great day to be a Navy chaplain, right? Like you open the Bible, you encourage a brother in Christ out of the authority of God's word. Second guy comes to you. Timmy says, hey, I'm a Christian. He's like, what does that mean to you? Well, I'm a good person, and I'm from Alabama. In Alabama, everybody's a Christian, right? That's a good day to be a Navy chaplain, too. Because that's a gospel opportunity. Because Timmy's already identified as a Christian, but we know he's lost. So share the gospel, right? And then talk to Timmy out of the encouragement of God's word because he's already identified himself as a Christian. But if you're with Timmy who wants to marry Bill, and then you ask him his faith tradition, and he says, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a Muslim, or I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a Hindu, or I'm a Jehovah's Witness, this is not, this is because he's come to you in a certain way, competence requires that you, that you not, that you understand that and tell him that you have encouragement that you can provide for him, but out of his tradition, it's likely not what he's looking for. There will probably be another opportunity to have a conversation with Timmy, but don't use that one. And I'll tell you this about a Navy ship that's just like an army battalion. There's no secrets on a Navy ship. Everybody knows how you treated Timmy in that conversation. Everybody knows. And, and when you tell him that, that that's not a conversation, that you protect his religious liberty, just like you're there to protect the religious liberty of others, you don't have to be a jerk to him when you do it. And kindness in that moment will likely provide you another gospel opportunity with him and will most certainly provide you gospel to, opportunities with others. But to, to pivot back to Justin, to how you have that conversation requires competence that you're gaining here at Southeastern Seminary? And, and that's a valid question because of the media. Um, a lot of people come up to me on the street or when I'm doing a ceremony in town and say, well, you're not allowed to pray in Jesus' name. My comment is, well, my ministry is in Jesus' name. Um, in, the, in the military, I serve under commanders that can make life a little bit difficult for me if they choose. But it's no different from serving under any of the employers that I had, um, you know, civilian life. In fact, I think my military commanders, believers and not, or non-believers, both, they respect who we are and what we bring to the table. They know that we help troops. So from time to time, we may get a commander that really doesn't care about the ministry that we do. They do care about the office. They do care about their troops. In the end, that leaves me a whole lot of room to, to share Jesus, to be light. And, and again, I, I like to use the word relational intelligence. Um, because, because God has gifted me to share the gospel doesn't mean I take a package and open it up to everybody. I have different packages for different souls that God puts in my life, meaning I talk to them a different way, just like I do my kids. 
Got three kids, neither one of them I talk to the same way or I turn them all off, shut them down. So you got to, it's just like any other ministry, IMB, um, your local church, um, it's just ministry in uniform. You still got to use the same wisdom and insight God's given you and relational intelligence and that competence John was talking about. That was a great question that you asked because um, you do not have absolute freedom of speech in this uniform. Um, I don't know what that means to you right now, but uh, for instance, it doesn't matter who you voted for. You work for the commander in chief. So you are a man or a woman under authority. And so that's where you need to use that competence and wisdom when you are in uniform. And you are in uniform all the time, 24-7, whether you are wearing it or not. And this gets to the social media. Some of our chaplains kind of aren't thinking when they put some things on Facebook that your troops can read, see. So you've got to be very, very careful. Your commander is responsible for the First Amendment uh, exercise of your troops, not you. You were there as a subject matter expert and advisor, and under U.S. Code uh, 10, you are required to give one religious service a week. Um, as a chaplain, you get a, and even when you're standing up preaching in a Protestant service, um, probably not the time to get up and talk about uh, immersion is the way of the only way of baptism instead of uh, sprinkling babies. I, I think also you need to know how to refer. And you treat everybody with dignity and respect. And I like what one of our hospital chaplains says regarding the, the evangelistic uh, conversation. You, you go where your soldier, sailor, airman, marine, or guardian wants to go. Uh, if they're not wanting to talk about Jesus, they're not wanting to know about the plan of salvation, you cannot proselytize. That, that's forcing people into a conversation that they don't want to be in. So, I mean, it, it really requires great wisdom and also an expansion of your worldview, your cultural worldview. Because this is not just a Southern Baptist get-together at Southeastern when you, when you were in this uniform. You were responsible for every faith police of practice under the sun. Some of it's made up, some of it's real. Over 6,000 denominations are represented in the United States. And, and you were one each chaplain on a ship, uh, on a flight line, uh, or in an army unit. And so uh, I, I thought of a chaplain that uh, put in an inappropriate title on a sermon he was going to preach shortly after uh, uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. It was, it was an awful title. I'm not even going to tell you what it was. But his commander called me and said, can I, can I remove this title? Am I violating? I said, no, sir. In fact, you have every right for it to be removed and have your chaplain call me after you've talked to him because it was just inappropriate. Uh, um, there, there are some literature out there that uh, shows indignity to other denominations. I won't, I won't get into those, but it's, it's out there. And if, and if you were passing out literature that demeans other faith groups like Catholicism or LDS or some other, other things out there, uh, you're going to get in trouble. So it's a matter of competency and thinking. And what did I miss? Because this, this one's a big one. But as far as freedom to share the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, if, if you say you can't do it, it's because you're, you, you don't have your head on straight because there's great freedom uh, in the right place in the right time. But that probably applies to any kind of ministry. So, yes, sir, in the back. I was incredibly interested in this answer. <laughs> yeah, you got to preach from the overflow, brother. Just uh, you got to know it and go for it. But uh, no, I honestly, I have no idea. Never been on active duty, so. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so we don't always preach like every single week. So when we serve in chapel, we have like a team of chaplains that we rotate. So, I mean, there was one time like, I don't remember, a couple months ago, I preached like five weeks in a row and it was completely out of the ordinary. Um, but usually I have ample of enough time to prepare for a sermon um, because it's not every week. Um, but the only issue that you run into is that, and particularly in the 82nd, since we're always on call for everything, we just never, it's hard to plan, right? So you, you sit there and you're like, I'm going to plan on this day and I'm going to do this, this, this for sermon prep or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like, your whole day is completely different than you expected your day to look. Or, hey, we're going to be in the field for a couple of days and you weren't expecting it. And so you're having to kind of adjust your schedule to where it's like, okay, I'm getting off late. I'm going in early, but I'm going to have to make that time to still make sure that I'm in the words. Because I don't want to jip my people in chapel or in the local church, wherever it is I'm preaching, from hearing the gospel just because I was busy. Does that make sense? So, like, I think it's still the same type of time, time constraints. Um, but you have to be able to use time management well. Um, because, I mean, I know, like, for me, too, I'm still a student. And so... I'm still taking classes and preaching and stuff. And so, like, you really have to make sure that, you know, there are times where you can protect your time. There are times where you can't protect your time because of unit, mission, like, what they're calling you to do. Um, and so you just have to kind of be mindful of that. So sometimes you may not have as, I don't know how long you want for ministry or sermon prep, but sometimes you may not have your, like, 20-hour or 24-hour, you know, I don't know what people want anymore. Um, and it might only be five. But how do you make the best use of that five? How do you make the best use of the 10 or 15, whatever it is that you're given, to be able to make sure that you accurately uh, proclaim the gospel of Christ to whoever it is that you're, you're speaking to that Sunday? Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of piggyback on that, too. So if you think about all the tasks that, that you're responsible for as a local church pastor, in many ways we're responsible for the same thing, but we do them in different proportion. So like in the Navy chaplaincy, not every ministry of context is a preaching context. We place a really high premium on pastoral care, but we do as well, we should as well in the local church, but it's a high, perhaps a higher premium in the context of Navy chaplaincy. We also kind of have a mantra in Navy chaplaincy, which is if, if you're in your office, you're probably doing it wrong. Like there's an expectation that we're out, engaged with people out of the office. That doesn't mean that we don't um, that there aren't other settings where preaching is a higher priority. When I was on a carrier, that's, I mean, that's a robust worship schedule on a carrier. It's a floating city of 5,000 people. We run, you know, a full worship schedule on Sunday when she's underway. And some of the best sermons I've ever heard, um, I've heard preached um, from the pulpit of a, of a floating ship, right? It's, it's, uh, there's some fantastic preaching that takes place in that context. But, yeah, does, do you always get the time that you want for sermon prep? Do you always get the time that you want for sermon prep? No, we are, sometimes uh, that's, a, that's a challenge which has already been expressed. I, I think it also has to do with the setting you're in. There are, we have a lot of different uh, uh, backgrounds here that are represented, but even, even just like in an army chaplain, it depends on what unit you're in and what your job is. Uh, my first unit was I was an AIT training chaplain, and I preached on the rotation for basic training, uh, like the story... Uh, we, we shared this morning about those 8,000. I didn't have that kind of success. I mean, maybe just me as far as people coming to Christ. Uh, but I had the great privilege um, at least twice a month to preach to 1,000 young soldiers. You know, so if you're looking for a youth ministry or college ministry, they're right there. You know, um, And so I had that privilege to preach to them. And over time, what that turned into was I refined and honed my particular preaching skills because it, every nine weeks, it's a new group. It's a different 1,000 people. So I didn't have to come up with a new sermon. It's a new way to present that sermon that was more effective, like an evangelist would, where you have a set of sermons that you know are effective, that God is blessing and bringing people to Christ. So I got to be an evangelist for about a year and a half in that sense. And that was the, one of the most fun times I've ever, ever had preaching. Chaplain Stokes made a fantastic point a second ago, too. And he said, one thing you do as a military chaplain that really transcends context is making the most of the time that you've been given. So if you've been given 90 seconds, use 90 seconds. Be, be a skilled communicator and a good steward of the time. If you're given three minutes, use the three minutes. If you're given 20, use 20. If you're given longer, use longer. But be, be competent in the time that you're given. 
I'll speak to that real quick too. Um, I had a I had a colonel. He was a um, a maintenance officer, and he's like, "Jet, all your men and women are in here in this meeting." I was like, "Do you know anything about maintenance?" I was like, "No, sir." He's like, "All right, get in here." So I go and sit in this meeting, and at the end of it, he's like, "Do you understand that?" I was like, "Absolutely not, sir." I mean, this was like Excel, all this stuff of just maintenance on for all these aircraft for attack airlift guys. And he's like, what do you got for us? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, inspire us. So I had about, I had about 60 seconds to come up with things. Luckily, I had my devotions that morning, and I shared a little, little something. So for the next year, um, I had about 60 seconds at the end of the maintenance meeting. And I found out their football teams and made fun of them. I'd get inspirational quotes from coaches. I'd get in for, you know, just, just little. It wasn't necessarily chapter and verse. Sometimes it was. But it was just something that, that they, maybe it was on like forgiveness or redemption or maybe it was something just about what do you do when the Cowboys lose in the playoffs because Des Bryant made a catch but didn't make a catch because I'm in Texas. Um, but so I had this salty old chief one day after doing this for about six months. He's like, hey, Chapman, you got a minute? I was like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, I was like, come to the office. So we go and sit there and, and um, ends up rededicating his life to the Lord. And um, I was like, come to the chapel, comes and, and goes not to my service, then he ends up going to another place, gets baptized, and he had his, he had his airman coming to me like, hey, what's, what's up with you? you? You've changed. You're not swearing. You're not angry anymore. He's like, I'm a Christian. I, I've rededicated my life to the Lord. I'm taking my faith serious now. My wife and I are getting reconciled, and I'd love to take credit for that, but that is not, that's the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is, that is God working through the chaplain call right there, and he never came to my worship services except for maybe twice. And that was after those little 60-second things. So you have amazing opportunities when you're standing in the post office or whatever, but, but, like, talk to people. And I can remember I was going through one unit, and the guy's like, you really want to get to know us, don't you? After about three months of going through this unit, I was like, yeah. He's like, well, why do you say that? He's like, well, you come when no one else is around. Like, you don't come just when the, when the leadership is around. So, I mean, you can have amazing opportunities just by getting to know. They used to call it friendship evangelism. But, like, just living out your faith in a community, a pluralistic community when you're in the marketplace of ideas, and you can, this is me, this is what my Christian faiths look like. You can take it or you can leave it, but this is who I am. And you can share, and people will be attracted to that light in your life. So that's my two cents. So i give you a perspective from the guard side. So in uh, Chaplain Officer Basic, you know, having come out of this seminary and, and preaching for a few years, it was hard to condense a field sermon down to 15 minutes. But what I found out is a lot of times what we think we have to say is not as important as what God wants us to say in a few minutes. Um, in 2009, when I was deployed with a group of field artillery men and women, um, I learned that the last words that they would hear before they go outside the wire didn't need to be words from me or what I thought but to really dig in and give them a word from God, give them hope. And um, not only that, but the courage to go out and, and, and complete the mission. That really changed um, the way I look at preaching. And uh, just to be honest, so if, 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 you're, if you're really struggling, you don't have a lot of time, come join the guard because you've got a whole month to prepare a sermon. Once a month, hit it twice on a weekend, and you're good to go. Hey, so let me jump in here real quick, because my hope, my job today was to spark the conversation. And so I know a number of you have more questions. Uh, would you join me in thanking these men for their time and their commitment to be here? They'll be here for a few more minutes, so you're welcome to come up and ask those questions that you want to ask. Before I let you go, before we adjourn, um, pray with me and pray for our service. Father God, just thank you for your great kindness to us. Lord, even now, I, I thank you for a country where we can worship you freely. And so, Lord, even now, send your angels to our brothers and sisters who are around the world who are persecuted for the sake of your name. Lord, encourage them, give them strength. Lord, as Paul tells Timothy that we're to pray for our governing leaders, even now we want to pray for our commander-in-chief. ask that you would watch over him, that you would protect him, protect his family. But we do ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon him. Lord, we pray for our vice president and, and all of our government leaders. Lord, I thank you for these gentlemen to my right. Thank you for um, 
the servicemen and women that they represent. Lord, watch over them, protect them. Thank you for their sacrifice, uh, first for your kingdom, second for our country. Lord, I want to pray for uh, their wives and their children. I ask that you watch over and protect them. Lord, thank you for this school. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, watch over us and, and protect us. We ask that we would do great things for the fame of your name. We love you. Ask all this in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.